read First uh, Samuel three. Many of y'all know, but I'm an elder here at Church of Redeemer. My name is Blair Burke, and I've been attending here uh, over ten years, and um, have a privilege to time to time preach here. So we're reading from abbreviated version of First Samuel three one through eleven. If it's not up there, there it is. Okay, and you read in your Bible. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He said, But, but I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went, down, he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. And Samuel did not know... I'm sorry, now Samuel did not know the Lord, for the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down and his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as the other times, and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the ears of everyone who hears will tingle. This is the word of God, unchanging. Uh, You may be seated. Well, I feel a little bit like Samuel this morning. Um, last night, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was telling Stacy what I was preparing on. I said, even gave, got her advice. I said what I was going to be wearing. And she said, no, you're not wearing that up on stage, what, what I was about to wear. And, um, and so if you remember Samuel's mom yearly would come and make him a robe so that he could wear that. So I feel a little bit like Samuel this morning because she admonished me and said, you got to wear something else whether than I was. And so I went with a standby blue shirt and vest. So um, I, I feel like I'm one of the characters of this, of this scripture, which I want to give a little bit of background today, uh, the background of 1 Samuel 3. If you look at the entire the book of 1 Samuel, there's three main characters. It's really Samuel, Saul, and David. And this is the midst, of, if you put a word in there, it would be transition. This is a transition time. Um, Samuel at this time was 12 years old, which is interesting enough. Some people say 8, some people say 10, some say 12. But Jesus was 12 at the time when he went in the temple and was speaking to them. And so, indeed, Samuel is a type of Christ. If you look at him, that he's bringing in a new age. He's revered by the people. And we'll see that as the oncoming chapters. But the time right now that they're in is the time of Judges, which... When Israel left Egypt, they went through Exodus, and then they went into a holy war under Joshua and came into the promised land. And then after they settled, 
that God would raise up judge after judge that would keep Israel in line, so to speak. But over those 400 years, Israel would continue to turn towards idols. And so the, the picture I get is almost like they're running a relay race. There's a, there's a, uh, re- they're going around the track, and it's a four-man relay over this period of 400 years. And Israel's running right, and he's, they're raising up. God has a judge to tell them, continue, continue on. And yet, uh, that judge may die, and then they would, they would start to turn around, or they would slow down, or they'd go off the track, or may, may even do a 180. So God would raise up another judge, or you could say in this metaphor, a coach, to say, no, go that way, go that way. And they would start running that way again. But then pretty soon that judge would die and, and no one would replace them. And so they would turn, start turning around, running the wrong way. And God eventually raised up the Philistines to start to chastise them and start to oppress them. So that they would call out to God. Maybe they would call out to God. And instead they did quite the opposite. They called out to other gods. And so they're going the wrong way. And so God is, um, God is raising up someone else. And we see that here with Samuel. I don't know if y'all saw the movie years ago. It was uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. It was a movie called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And it was a Thanksgiving holiday kind of movie where they're trying to get home and it's uh, uh, wintertime and stop blocking every goal they have and they finally get a rental car. And uh, John Candy's driving and they're driving down this road and someone pulls up beside them on a parallel road and it's a couple, and they're yelling at them, you're going the wrong way. And they're like, what? And so they roll down the window, and they yell at them, you're going the wrong way. And they go, what? How do they know where we're going? They're crazy. And they keep driving. Of course, they're ro- going the wrong way. They're going the wrong way, and they go right between two semis. And so that is a picture of what Israel's doing. And God's raising up prophets, and uh, he's, he's raising up these judges to say, you're going the wrong way. And so right now, Chapter 3 is a time where you're starting to see, it's almost a metaphor when it says that Eli was sleeping in the tent, but it was, the, the light was dim. That was what Israel was like at this time. The, the light of God's revelation was dim because Israel was going, like it says in other parts of the scripture, like a she-camel, sniffing the wind, trying to find other lovers. And God is calling her back, calling her back. And in God's grace, he says, I'm going to raise up a child that is going to be righteous, he's going to be revered, and he's going to follow me. It's a type of Christ. He raises up Samuel here. And in fact, if you even look at the contrast between Eli, which is the, the old priest, and you look at Samuel and you contrast them, you see Eli is an old priest judge. Samuel is a new prophet judge. Eli, his, his sight is dim. He's losing his eyesight. Uh, Samuel has young eyes. The, the word was rare in Eli's day, but we'll see eventually the word becomes more regular in Samuel's day. It's interesting if you even look, Eli was sleeping in the holy place. If you look at the temple and you look at the back of, maybe your Bible has a, a diagram of what the, the, the temple looked like. Where Eli was sleeping was in a place called the holy place, which is great. But if you even look at Samuel, he was sleeping in the most holy place. He was sleeping right next to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. So you see this contrast. He was sleeping, Samuel was sleeping in the presence of God, where Eli's sons were sleeping with women. There's such a contrast of darkness and light. Uh, but, but you see the light dawning, 
And that's where we are in chapter 3 here. Um, so that's a bit of some of the backgrounds. And you even see, uh, if you look at verse 19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan, which was up in the north, to Beersheba, which was down in the south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So you see that Samuel was growing. Other times in, this, in, in the other chapters, it says that Samuel was growing in the presence of the Lord in, in chapter 2. And a little bit later on, it says, Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. And here it says that he's growing and the Lord was with him. You see this progression. And even though he's 12, just like Jesus was young, but, but full of power and grace, you see that here. Now, if you notice, the title of my sermon is Discerning the Voice of God or Hearing the Voice of God. And I really want to talk about that because the, the theme of this, of this chapter, is really the Lord is continuing his plan to fill the void of spiritual leadership. This passage is not an example, is not an example of how we talk to God. Okay? This is not like, I want you to go to bed tonight and have one ear open waiting to hear an audible voice of God. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's, this is not normative. This is not the normal way that God would go about. And he definitely doesn't go about that in the New Testament. We see even in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 1, um, i turn there. It says that Hebrews 1 one, long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, which is now, he's spoken to us by his son. And so God did many different ways he would speak to people in the Old Testament. But he has changed that now. And so I want to kind of camp out. I know it's a bit unorthodox. I want to camp out on what this passage is not saying. Okay? So this passage is not talking about, here's how you hear from God. But I do want to talk, in light of this transition of our church, how we hear from God. Okay? How are we listening as this transitioning of different leaders? A lot of times people, when they thinking about the understanding the will of God, it's like treasure hunting. You know, X marks the spot. And I've got to find, I've got to find out exactly what coordinates where I'm supposed to be. And really, that's a, that's a bad analogy of understanding the will of God. It needs to be more of, uh, uh, you, you don't think of God's will as X marks the spot. You need to think of God's will as a general, like a field that God is calling you to. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more specific on how, what that looks like. If we have that, that one diagram, David. Um, yep. So this is something that I put together. Um, as you can see, kind of all oblong concentric circles there. But look at three different wills here. Okay, so let's go through that. If you can read that from the back, um, if you can't, I will, I will talk through it. But really, the general will of God, and that's more of his attitude, um, more of God's attitude. Sorry about this. This keeps falling off. Um, more of God's attitude, okay? This is, uh, in the scriptures, we see that it's not God's will that any should perish, but also reach repentance, okay? That's his desire, his attitude. Now, people do perish, but that scripture is speaking about God's general will that all would, would come to him. 
All right? The next concentric circle going in is God's moral will. That's what's revealed in his law. It's revealed in the scriptures. Okay? Also in our conscience. Uh, another way to say it is God's perceptive will, as, as one theologian put it. So we know that it's God's will that you don't steal, that you love your enemies, that you repent, that you be holy, you abstain from sexual immorality. Those, God has revealed a lot from that. You know, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things uh, are for God, but the things revealed are for man. And that's what we're talking about here is God's moral will. And there's a lot there. You know, um, Mark Twain said, it's not the things that I don't understand um, that bother me about the Bible. It's the things I do understand. And that's exactly what we're seeing here is in God's moral will, it's things that we know are true. And a lot of times people are trying to find um, this next circle, specific will. They're saying, what is God's hidden will for me? And yet they're not doing God's moral will. It's pretty hard to find God's will for your life, his call on your life, if you're not doing his general call, his moral will for your life. So that last one is the specific or the hidden will of God. It's everything that will come to pass, but yet hasn't. Uh, some people call it God's sovereign or his decreed will. Um, and, and by the way, God's will is not frustrated. He's never frustrated. He, he's, he's not like me at work on Tuesday morning after we've had a bad Monday on production and things, the crew didn't go as fast as I thought and things aren't on schedule or a machine broke or it snowed and it delayed us. I had plans for, to, to do some construction, but yet it didn't work out. And I'm very frustrated. God is never in that situation. He's never frustrated. He's happy. Um, he is, he, what happens is exactly what he wants to happen um, in his decreed will. And so I want to give you a little bit of practical with this. So we have the general will, which is God's attitude toward what should happen. Then his moral will, that's revealed in his word and eventually our conscience. Uh, and then our, his specific will, and that's hidden. So we're called to obey God's moral will and, and, and please him. And God will reveal his specific will eventually. Okay? But let me give you a little practical. These are some steps here. If we go into the next slide, David. Um, is one, have a neutral attitude. Okay? Now, what I mean by that is that when you're following God, you want to have this, this attitude. I call it a blank check. And you, you just go ahead and say, okay, God, for, for those that still use checks, I don't know if we... Uh, have debit cards so much now, but I know some of the younger ones, a check is a piece of paper that represents money, that you, you should have the money in, in the bank when you write that check. But that's what a check is. And when you just write, sign your name at the bottom and don't put an amount on there or who it's to, that's called a blank check. All right? You're saying, I agree with whatever's put on this check. Well, that's exactly what our heart should be. And we should have... As we're seeking God and we have this holy dissatisfaction of where we are in life, we should have a blank check before God and say, God, whatever you want for me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I will do. That's a bit of a neutral attitude towards, I want to do this or that. You need to approach God. Now, you have desires, 
But you need to lay those aside and say, God, whatever it is you want from me. You need to start there or else you're going to start to go off course. Next, you want to gather information. Um, as you're, you're um, saying, what is God's will for my life? What is God's call in my life? What work should I be working? Who's the mate he's going to call me to? What should I be doing with my life? You know, I'm midlife. What should I be doing? Am I on track? I need to be asking these same questions consistently. Not so much that I'm navel-gazing or that you're navel-gazing, but that you're seeking God's will for your life. But that you should gather information. Um, you know, it was, I think, William Carey who studied India before he had a burden for India. You've got to know something. My wife and I have a burden for Africa. And many of y'all know that we've been there many times and that we are, one of our sons are from Africa. But we didn't just get there. We didn't just start having a burden for the people of Africa randomly. It was that we, we actually learned about it. We saw movies or videos on it. We met people from it. And God used that information that we were gathering to start to stir our heart. That's what God does. Someone once also said that, um, that a man's judgment is no better than his information. So you must gather information about what it is. Whatever you're moving towards. The next, the third is to test scripture. Is there, is there a verse that prohibits what I'm doing? Okay, is there a verse out there that's prohibiting directly or indirectly from what I'm doing? You know, there's probably not going to, God's not going to call you to be a Christian mafia, right? Those are kind of an oxymoron. He's not going to be Christian. I'm not going to, I'm going to, you can't say I'm going to reform organized crime. That's a bit of an oxymoron because God says thou shall not steal. So you don't need to be in that syndicate in the first place. And so you need to see, is there any scripture that prohibits what I'm doing or maybe calls me to do something, right? So scripture yeah, that, that I read earlier, you know, should I love my enemies? Yes. Should I share my faith? Yes. Am, should I be holy or should I have a repentant life? Yes. Those are all things. You need to test it in light of scripture. Or should, if you're in an argument with a brother or sister in Christ, do I need to humble myself and be the first to initiate to them? Yes. So you need to test it by scripture. And this is any decision, whether it's big decisions, again, whether your mate or your mission, your calling, your, your job, or it's what you're to do at work that day. All these things, you can run through this. Um, the next is you want to test it by providential circumstances. Okay. Uh, test it by providential circumstances. Maybe there's something that's happening that says you can't do it. I, one of the things is I always, always wanted to be in the Army. And I couldn't because I have asthma. And so they won't accept you. Even years ago, whenever I got laid off from my work, I started opening this idea of, okay, what am I going to do? This was about five or six years ago. And I actually met with Dr. Milton. And I said, maybe I can be an Army chaplain. But there's two things. I was too old. And I had asthma. Those circumstances kept me from that. And that's okay. I need to be okay with that. I need to either grieve over that. But, but God in his circumstances have said no and close this door. And God does that often with us. So you want to test it with provident, providential circumstances. Fifth is you want to test it by godly counsel. You want to abundance of counselors, there's victory, the scriptures say. And so you want to go up to other believers who've walked before you 
and say, what do you think about this? And get their feedback that they've been there ahead of time. Now, I would, I would stress godly counsel. It's very easy at this point, especially if you don't do number one, which has a neutral attitude, and you go and start to gather people who have the same attitude or same desires as you, and you can stack the deck to say, yeah, you ought to go do that, whatever it is. You can always manipulate the council to, to uh, agree with you. But if you go with someone who has godly counsel, who doesn't have a dog in the fight, and then say, what do you think about this? And they love you and they love Jesus, then they're going to help you proceed ahead in, in a wise way. Well, um, as we look at uh, Samuel here, that, uh, that God called to him. And if you even look in this, he got counsel from Eli. Eli, as his mentor, said, I want you to go lay down. And if you hear the voice again, then you know it's God. And that was good counsel. That was wise counsel uh, at that point. And he did. And so you see that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. It just means that whenever Samuel spoke, you listened. Have you ever been around a person like that? Where whenever they're speaking, you just, you want to tune everything out and listen to what they have to say. They're just, they're dripping with wisdom. They're dripping with godly counsel. That was who Samuel was. Um, it's interesting. If you look at verse 21, it says, The Lord appeared again um, at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now look at verse, uh, verse 1. Compare that with verse 1. It says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So within that same chapter, you saw the word was rare, and now you, you saw it is becoming more frequent with Samuel. And you'll see this in Samuel. As we start to preach through Samuel 3, or I'm sorry, uh, 1 Samuel, that Samuel has a greater and greater impact on the na- nation of Israel. Whether, when they're way off course, and we even see in a few chapters, he brings them back on course by telling them to repent, by telling them to throw away the worthless idols, to tell them to quit going after their other lovers and to come back to God. And I think that's, that's the call to us today is that if we want a godly leader here as our next pastor, God calls us to repent and calls us to seek his face. That's why the session is saying, join us on Mondays of as a congregation, we're going to be praying and fasting. We're going to be seeking God's face to say, um, God, bring us a Samuel-type leader. Now, I also want to just give a caveat that God removes leaders for different reasons. He was removing Eli because Eli was wicked because his sons were wicked, right? His sons were doing very wicked things and he did not restrain them. So God says, I'm going to remove you. He removed Samuel years later because of old age and he dies. God brings people in and out for different reasons. And so God has, has moved Dean on for God is calling him to something else. But we, we're asking the next guy that comes in that he would be godly, that he would seek his face, um, that he would be here um, and be listening to the voice of God. Um, I pray that for us. Let me pray for us now. God, thank you for this, this opportunity to speak this morning. Thank you for uh, listening to your voice. 
I pray that we as a congregation would listen to your voice. We would ask for the next godly leader. That you've had one here to establish our church for many years. And you moved him on. And now we ask that you bring the next man in place that would, would seek your face, that would um, be happy and submissive to your will, that would, um, would, would, in a sense, sleep in your presence, God. He would hear from you through uh, your, your voice or really your will. And he would lead us there. God, thank you for your scripture. Reveal will. May we seek your face in your name. Amen.